Have you noticed how climate change and going green have become moral issues in the minds of many people? If Jesus came back to earth today, he could address the issues of our day just as he did in the Gospel of Luke. When he addressed the crowd as hypocrites, he rebuked his generation, and I'm sure he could also rebuke ours. He said to his people, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's going to rain. And that's how it turns out. And when you see that a south wind is blowing, you say it's going to be a hot day. And it happens. Well, you hypocrites, Jesus said vehemently. You play actors and pretenders. You know how to forecast the weather, but why can you not intelligently interpret the present time? How tragic that they were unable to calculate and comprehend the signs of Messiah's first coming. And now the same thing is happening in our generation. It's shocking to me that too many people are unable to discern the glaring signs of the Lord's second coming. Instead, many are consumed with issues that ultimately will be totally irrelevant. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. Prophetic events signify the nearness of the seven-year period in future history referred to in the Bible as the Great Tribulation. Prophecy Newswatch recently published an article by Jonathan Brittner entitled Storm Warning pointing out how the prophetic signs of our day resemble a storm alert. In weather parlance, a storm watch means you should prepare for the possibility of a severe storm or tornado. However, a storm warning means you should act now because severe weather is occurring. Already, events described in the book of Revelation are casting their dark clouds on the church age giving us a clear storm warning. Events are clearly coming into focus on the horizon that all point to the nearness of the time when the four catastrophic horsemen described in Revelation chapter 6 will be released to gallop across the world. But for believers, if we are truly watching and staying alert to the times, the storm clouds on the horizon should signal the nearness of the Lord's appearing. The events of the first eight verses of Revelation chapter 6 are commonly referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The first mention in Revelation 6 verse 2 is a white horse mounted with a conqueror, often considered to represent the Antichrist. The verse says, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. This first horseman rides a white horse, which is always emblematic of a leader. And in a later chapter in the book of Revelation, Jesus himself, as a conquering king, rides a white horse. Therefore, in church history, this first rider has sometimes been identified by commentators as the Lord Jesus, because a crown is also mentioned, but arrows in his bow are not mentioned. 
In this interpretive painting by a Russian artist, an arrow is seen in the bow. I believe other scholars' interpretation of the rider on the white horse are more accurate, that the rider mounted on the white horse in Revelation 6 represents a world conqueror in a time of peace, but it will not be an enduring peace. His goal is conquest of the earth, and this represents a picture of the coming Antichrist tyrannical rule over the nations. According to various Bible commentators, the fact that the arrows are not mentioned along with the bow in the text could mean that this future ruler conquers without military might. He will seem to be a man of peace, but he is part of a group and is followed in sequence by three other deadly horsemen, representing war, famine, and death itself. As Jonathan Brittner observed in his Storm Morning article, the founder of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, provides an example of someone wielding considerable clout, but without an army. Support for his radical global Great Reset comes from leaders across the globe, including France's Emmanuel Macron and Canada's Justin Trudeau. Many world leaders have sat at the feet of Klaus Schwab to attend his leadership school, including half of Canada's cabinet. World leaders have also participated in his annual meeting of global political and corporate heads in Davos, Switzerland. Nobody is claiming that Schwab is the Antichrist, but he is an example of a world leader pursuing a one-world government, the type of leader that advocates, for example, for no borders. Schwab also promotes transhumanism as the fourth industrial revolution. We're very close to a world government being formed. Only the restraining power of the Holy Spirit is currently holding back a world government. We shouldn't be surprised that many people are not reading the signs of the times, and they're seemingly blind to the spiritual danger that they're in. But scriptures tell us over and over again that because of sin, people want to suppress truth and notoriously celebrate untruths. In fact, the theologian Soren Kierkegaard observed that the world wants to be deceived. It most gratefully rewards with applause, money, and prestige anyone who complies with its wish to be deceived. And isn't that the truth the gospel states in John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21? And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in the power of God. Amen. A second apocalyptic horse and rider are described by the Apostle John in Revelation 6, verse 4. John wrote, Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on the red horse to take peace from the earth so that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. Of course, the color red is easy to interpret because it's the emblem of bloodshed. 
Bible commentators say the red horse brings to mind the vision of Isaiah 63, when the Lord travels at his second coming via Edom, wearing crimson stained garments. And the later vision of the Apostle John concerning Jesus as King of Kings leads the armies of heaven. And Revelation 19.13 says he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. When we consider the Red Horse, no doubt the world stage is being set for major bloody wars across the planet. Israel is constantly threatened, but recently announced a newer defense system using laser technology with a detection and tracking system that will destroy incoming rockets within a few seconds. The new laser system will supplement the already existing Iron Dome technology that operates against short-range rockets. Now the lasers will reportedly concentrate on taking out smaller projectiles. When he learned about the new laser innovation, Israeli Rabbi Arye Weingarten was not surprised and likened it to the biblical pillar of fire that accompanied and protected the Israelites during their exodus from the Egyptian army's arrows. Rabbi Weingarten told Israel 365 News that Israel's wall of lasers is an innovation and invention that reflects the aspect of God in nature. Well, having served in a tank division in the war in 1982 in Lebanon, Rabbi Weingarten said he very much appreciates the use of technology in protecting Israel. He noted prophetically that in the soon coming time of Israel's redemption, God will once again be very active and apparent in nature. This was certainly true at the time of the Exodus with the 10 plagues in the parting of the Red Sea. He said, as the final redemption approaches, God will again be apparent in nature, and you can call it technology if you want. That's why in these final days, technology is advancing at such a rapid pace so that God's glory can be revealed in ways that we never imagined before. He said and added, when the Midrash spoke about the pillar of fire burning up arrows in mid-flight, People couldn't believe it could actually happen. But here we are today, he said, actually doing it. By the way, a cautionary note from the rabbi. We should nevertheless rely on God, not technology, giving God all the glory, knowing that it is God and not lasers that ultimately protects Israel. Amen. Now let's go back to Revelation chapter 6 and verses 5 and 6 concerning the next apocalyptic horse, a black horse, black being associated with death and mourning, the result of scarcity and famine and war. John wrote, I looked and behold a black horse and its riders had a pair of scales in its hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. So the rider holds a pair of balances or weighing scales, signifying the way bread would have been weighed during a famine in days of antiquity. This is an emblem of scarcity. Food is not weighed out like that in times of abundance. 
For when there's great plenty, people don't even think it's worth their while to weigh and measure what they will eat and drink. But when there's a famine or scarcity, they are obliged to do so. For example, in Ezekiel 4.16, it states that God will break the staff of bread in Jerusalem and they shall eat bread by weight and with care. However, Revelation 6 describes not a regional crisis, but a terrible worldwide inflation as a result of the chain of catastrophic events. The earth will experience inflation and famine unlike anything ever known. The coin mentioned in these verses, a denarius, was the usual daily pay of the laborer and of the soldier, equaling the wage of an entire day's work. And so in the end times, such an amount will only buy enough wheat or barley to feed one person, much less a family. But there will not be a scarcity of everything. Apparently, limits are set so that, for example, the oil and the wine are still available. Luxuries for the elites will still exist in the midst of economic ruin and suffering for many earth dwellers. The famine of bread is a terrible judgment, but we have to consider that the famine of the word of God is even more terrible. Well, presently, the power of the Holy Spirit, referred to by the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2.6 as the restrainer, is holding back many of the wars, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and economic disasters. But after the rapture, when the restrainer is removed, all hell will break loose on earth. And at that time, a remnant in Israel will be protected. God will seal the 144,000 Jews and Israelites during the tribulation. So says Revelation chapter 7. These men will act as evangelists and they will be supernaturally protected during that time. Please note that all of these evangelists are Jews and Israelites representing all of the 12 tribes. If the church were still present on the earth during the tribulation period, there could be no distinction between believing Jews and other Gentile believers because in the church age, we are all Jew and Gentile together, one new man. However, the sealing of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses and the other two great witnesses who are probably Moses and Elijah, who were introduced in Revelation 11, all of these tell us the church will not be present on the earth at this time. Otherwise, the 144,000 and the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, would all be a part of the church and not identify specifically with Israel. The special sealing of these Jewish witnesses tells us that the church age is no longer on the earth as God's instruments and that God is once again using Israel, restoring the kingdom to them. In 1 Thessalonians 5.9, the apostle assures us that we will not experience this time of God's wrath upon the earth. Did you know that God is patient and is actually storing up his wrath for the time to come? But 1 Thessalonians 5.9 tells us that God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. That's the blessed hope of the New Testament saints, to believe that Jesus will come for us before any of the events of the seven-year tribulation. That is why the biblical doctrine of imminency is so important. His coming is imminent at any moment. And we need not worry about Israel 
God is going to protect a glorious remnant and save them. The fourth horse of the apocalypse is described in Revelation 6, 8. John wrote, And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. Shockingly, this verse reveals that one-fourth of the world's population will perish. And presently, that would amount to about two billion persons. Thankfully, the coming of the Lord for his bride, the church, is our blessed hope. Jesus is the future of true believers, and we look forward to that. Not the coming time of great tribulation that will soon overtake the world. There's no time like now to call upon the name of the Lord for eternal salvation. We may know the general season, but no one knows the day or the hour of the Lord's actual appearing. But the storm clouds on the horizon should tell us to stay awake, that his appearing is very close indeed. He could come on a day just like today or on a night just like tonight. We need always to be ready around the clock and around the world. So why does God grant us the gift of Bible prophecy, which we're so privileged to study? First of all, Bible prophecy is a gift that satiates our natural curiosity about the future. We don't have to delve into the occult because we haven't been left in the dark. God has revealed in great detail in this Bible what is going to happen in the future. He has provided hundreds of Bible prophecies to inform us so that we can be careful to keep short accounts with him and be sure that we're prayed up and there's no sin in our lives because we certainly don't want to be ashamed at the Lord's sudden appearing. Furthermore, Bible prophecy keeps us alert so that we can take action and accomplish end-time exploits. Evangelism isn't something we should put off for the future, but it should be a part of everyday life as we are led by the Holy Spirit to persuade souls of their need of the Savior. Recently, my car broke down, but I had a divine encounter with a woman who was sent by the rescue truck to help me. As we have divine encounters with people, we can check to see if they really need the Lord and if they need prayer. The study of Bible prophecy helps us also to have a realistic view on the shortness of life and teaches us not to hold material possessions tightly and to be ready at a moment's notice for the upward call with no regrets. Bible prophecy also works to keep us on our toes to be wary of falling under the sway of false prophets because the Bible predicts that spiritual con men will proliferate in the last days. Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, 11, that many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. So unfortunately, many people are going to be taken in and we see it happening all around us. I'm amazed at the number of false prophets that are promoted even on the Facebook pages of some of my friends. In every generation, there has always been a market for false prophets because unregenerate persons have an aversion to the truth. But especially in the last days, they will be characterized by many false prophets who will deceive many to the point that they will plead with the Lord when he returns. Lord, didn't I do this or that good deed in your name? But tragically, he will answer, I don't know you. Depart from me. 
And the Apostle Paul prophesied in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith and give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Therefore, the Apostle John also warned in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Part of the end-time deception, sadly, is false teaching in the mainline denominational churches, which are becoming increasingly apostate on many issues, including Bible prophecy and the necessity to understand the restoration of the nation of Israel. Jim Fletcher, who is executive director of the National Christian Leadership Conference for Israel, that's an ecumenical group that encourages support for Israel, said the groundwork for today's attitudes in mainline churches was laid a hundred years ago when the false notion gained ground that much of the Bible was myth. Fletcher, Fletcher says the seminaries have turned out pastors who don't believe in big chunks of this Bible. And if Hebrew history is myth, then there's no reason to support Israel's claim on its ancient homeland. The lack of Bible knowledge has unfortunately reached evangelical Christians as well. Fletcher's group recently decided to focus on a grassroots education effort with an emphasis on Bible study, the Bible's Hebrew roots, and its connection to our own faith. The National Christian Leadership Conference on Israel is also concentrating on Holocaust studies because your average Christian knows nothing, if anything, about the Holocaust. It's horrifying, but it's true. Meanwhile, we have to comprehend that false prophets are not just harmless fakes, but they are extremely dangerous, described in the Bible as devouring wolves, ravenous, like a ferocious wolf that sinks its teeth into the sheep. And watch out because they often wear religious garments. As I've tried to point out before in one of my books, don't think of them literally as wolves wearing a sheepskin on their backs. The biblical metaphor of a wolf in sheep's clothing actually means that the false prophet comes dressed like a shepherd. He wears a cloak made from sheep's wool. So he disguises himself as a shepherd, but he is a wolf. He's not exactly a heretic because a believer who knows his or her Bible should know how to recognize a heretic. A heretic is a member of a cult or a non-biblical secret society that teaches false doctrine or is an apostate who has denied the faith. But on the other hand, the false prophet is not so easily discernible. Jude verse 4 warns that the false prophet creeps into the churches unawares and he tries to fellowship and drain real believers, pretending to be a believer. He talks about God, but his words and actions are subtle. The Apostle Paul said we shouldn't be surprised that these false teachers are so cunning because as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, Satan comes masquerading as an angel of light. And that's why we shouldn't be surprised if his ministers are also angels of light. When I studied early church history, I was delighted to discover a document called the Didache, a treatise also known as the Lord's Teaching through the Twelve Apostles to the Nations. 
This early church document is dated by modern scholars to the first century A.D. The text is thus the oldest written catechism, and there is a section on how to deal with false prophets. It's interesting that the Didache uses a term to describe false prophets as Christ merchants. In other words, false prophets make money using the brand names of Jesus and God and Israel and so forth. They sell the Lord or use his personal Bible brands for personal gain to line their pockets and build their empires. The Didache says that a true prophet is to be held in high honor and to be welcome, and his word must never be disregarded, and his freedom must never be curtailed. But, quote, he shall remain in your house one day, and if necessary, another day also. But if he remains three days, he is a false prophet. Well, that's pretty direct and also very protective. I don't know if Benjamin Franklin ever read the Didache, but he did famously say, both fish and visitors smell in three days. The Didache also stipulates that the visitor must never ask for anything but bread. If he asks for money, he is a false prophet. So this rule was written down. If a wanderer comes to a congregation and wants to stay in the vicinity, if he has a trade, let him work and eat. If he has no trade, consider in your wisdom how he may not live with you as a Christian in idleness. And if he will not comply, he is a trafficker in Christ. Beware of him. Wow, such practical wisdom. Love it. I have to praise God that the Holy Spirit is presently holding back the four horsemen of the apocalypse. But for how long? Now is the time to turn to the Lord. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation that was procured for us on Jerusalem's cross by the Savior? If you have not yet turned to Jesus in faith, now is the time to heed the storm warnings and run to the Savior who promises eternal life to all who call upon him in faith. Please take a moment to check out our website, exploits.tv, which brings you news on current and end-time events and prayer pointers regarding both the church and the nation of Israel. At our website and Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, you'll find a library of videos covering lots of biblical topics. Our programming ministry is called Exploits, based upon Daniel 1132b, which declares that people who know their God will be strong and will do exploits, meaning that we will fulfill the works of the Lord in the remaining time before his imminent return. Feel free to share your thoughts with me on social media. And don't forget, download our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app for your phones or tablets to watch us on the go anywhere. Meanwhile, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. The Lord is at hand, Maranatha. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord be with you. I'm Christine Dark. Shalom.